0: Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. As COVID positivity rates continue to fall, California public health officials say the state will no longer require fully vaccinated people to wear masks if they're outdoors and not in large groups. That change brings the state into alignment with new national CDC guidelines on mask use. But public health officials still want people to maintain social distancing and continue to use masks when indoors. And they're also urging people to keep getting vaccinated. Let's turn to education. Slowly but steadily, California public school students are returning to their campuses for in-person classroom instruction. But there are many parents who continue to keep their kids out of class because of the pandemic. So, what happens in the fall when the new school year begins? Will some kind of distance learning from home continue? KQED's Guy Marzerotti has been looking into this, including the role of Sacramento in opening up schools fully for classroom instruction. Thanks for joining us, Guy. Thanks for having me. So, since schools are locally run institutions, why is Sacramento even involved in this issue?
2: Well, it really comes down to the money, uh, right? It's like the lock song says, first you get the money, then you get the power. And that's really how decision making in California on education works. The state budget uh, crafted by the legislature and the governor allots money for California schools. And then with that money come rules for how local districts have to run their schools.
0: Do the students physically have to be in the classroom instead of learning from home to get access to the funds?
2: That's right. Before the pandemic, really, there was only a few cases where students could access distance learning. It was only if they had applied for independent study or maybe enrolled in a charter school that was not classroom based. But other than that, the default before the coronavirus pandemic was classroom instruction. Obviously, that all changed over the last year.
0: And Guy, what's the position of the governor in particular, and the legislature in general when it comes to this school reopening issue?
2: Well, Newsom has said he wants to get kids back in school full time in the fall. The question, though, is will he demand that the state budget goes back to that pre-pandemic default, where it you know it basically forces uh, classroom instruction? or will there be more flexibility for districts to uh, allow distance learning? Democrats in the legislature have also said they wanna get kids back in school full time, but there has been few that have actually ruled out distance learning. I talked to uh, Santa Cruz Senator John Laird. He's the chair of the Budget Subcommittee on Education. He kind of took a wait and see approach. He said, you know, as they're crafting the budget, as they get closer to the June deadline, they'll kind of assess the health situation and see what kind of flexibility they wanna include in there. And interestingly, we saw, Republicans have really criticized the slow reopening of schools. The top Republican uh, on that budget subcommittee, uh, Rosalesi ochoa Bo, um, she said she also wants flexibility in the fall for districts to decide what level of distance learning they ultimately offer.
0: Hmm. So this isn't necessarily falling along partisan lines in Sacramento.
2: That's right. And I think it's it'll be uh, really interesting and, and obviously a lot of pressure on the governor as to how this ultimately comes out. There's a lot at stake for Governor Newsom in this decision over whether to allow distance learning. Um, As I mentioned, this has been a key issue in the recall campaign against the governor, the fact that California has lagged behind other states in reopening schools. Now, Newsom has argued this is really about districts. They have been the driving force behind keeping kids in distance or hybrid learning. And he's right to a large extent, but now he has an opportunity to change that in this upcoming budget discussion.
0: And just finally, Guy, uh, you know, Governor Newsom uh, faces a recall um, that's going to be happening generally about the same time that students are going to be going back to their classes in the fall or going back to some kind of education in the fall. What's at stake politically for the governor in all of this?
2: Oh, there's definitely a lot at stake. As you mentioned, the calendar lines up, right? We could see this uh, recall election likely In the fall, around November, getting kids back in the classroom is going to be, you know, a huge part of Newsom's case as to why California is back to normal, why he deserves uh, to remain the governor of the state. And again, this is why this budget discussion is so important for the governor. He made an allowance with the legislature last year to allow distance learning in the midst of the pandemic. It's really ultimately up to him and state lawmakers to decide to go back to normal and not allow uh, distance or hybrid learning in the fall. Hmm.
0: All right. That is KQED's Guy Marzorati. Guy, thanks so much for joining us uh, to talk about all of this.
2: Always a pleasure.
1: I am Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant diverse golden state, because what happens in California changes the world.
2: I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California
1: Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm abdel Deveta from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained.
0: For adults on the autism spectrum, it can be hard to get and keep a job. Now, a Sacramento-based pilot program that's helped some autistic adults find employment is looking to expand statewide. KQED's Katie Orr reports.
1: The number of people diagnosed as being on the autism spectrum is steadily increasing, and it's estimated about 90% of autistic adults are unemployed or underemployed. But a program at the Sacramento-based nonprofit Maristem is seeking to change that with its Breaking Barriers program. Edmund Knighton is president of the organization.
0: It's designed to help employers become comfortable with how to prepare themselves and prepare youth on the spectrum to be successful when they get interviewed. And then once they're hired, how to be successful in maintaining them.
1: Maristem, which helps prepare adults on the spectrum for independent lives, has connected employees with employers in Sacramento and Los Angeles counties. As part of the state budget, it's asking for $3 million over three years to expand the program throughout California. Knighton says it can match employees to a wide variety of jobs.
0: This Involves very tiny, tiny businesses, which is like, could be the donut shop right up the street, all the way to Blue Shield, which took the training. And so the placement capacity is just, it's, it's measureless.
1: Maristem student Brandon Mark says the Breaking Barriers program helped him in several ways. Being able to handle multiple,
2: unpredictable, high-stress situations, being able to work more with others, and as people on the office spectrum, Everyone has their own different learning styles and things that they get used to. So we try to find different ways to channel our energy. Mark is
1: currently employed at the Disney Store. He says the program helped him grow as a professional. For the California Report, I'm Katie Orr in Sacramento.
0: Bay Area immigrant advocates are urging U.S. Attorney General Merrick Garland to get rid of Trump-era orders that deny asylum to many immigrants fleeing domestic violence. KQED's Farida Javala-Romero reports.
1: In 2018, then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions reversed court precedent when he decided domestic violence is a private crime, not a form of persecution deserving asylum. But that's wrong, says law professor Karen Musalo with the Center for Gender and Refugee Studies at UC Hastings.
2: A perspective that attempts to drag us back to the dark ages of women's rights, when governments could look away as women were battered, raped, and killed with impunity.
1: She says under the session's order, immigration judges are sending legitimate asylum seekers back to danger. The Biden administration is expected to issue new rules on the matter, but not for months. The Department of Justice did not return requests for comment. For The California Report, I'm romero
0: As thousands of migrant families cross into the United States, many are being flown by Customs and Border Protection to San Diego, where they are then removed to Mexico without any of their belongings. KPBS reporter Max Rivlin Nadler found this type of treatment is likely contributing to the rise of unaccompanied children crossing the border.
3: There's a rack of shoes drying in the sun outside of Embajadores de Jesus shelter in Tijuana. The tongues of the shoes are just hanging out, because Customs and Border Protection took the laces from them, even from the tiniest of shoes, including those belonging to Claudia Vasquez del Cid and her six-year-old daughter, Kami. They fled rampant crime, domestic abuse, and joblessness in a hurricane-wrecked Honduras. They crossed the Rio Grande in Texas earlier this month. She tells me Customs and Border Protection threw away her clothes, their shoelaces, their money. Now she has nothing to feed her daughter." Vasquez del Cid is one of over 3,000 asylum seekers flown from the Texas border to the San Diego-Tijuana border. That's because Mexican states near the Texas border are not accepting returns of Central American migrant families with young children. But Baja California does. 78% of families encountered by San Diego Border Patrol between November and March were expelled to Baja. Each day, around 100 people are flown to San Diego from Texas. Some families are allowed to remain in the United States. Others are driven to the border, handed over to Mexican authorities, and taken to the Embajadores de Jesus shelter, where they're greeted by Pastor Gustavo Banda Aceves, who has operated the shelter for five years. Each day over the past month, 100 migrants have arrived at the shelter. The children are mostly between the ages of two and eight. They arrive in very bad shape, Pastor Gustavo tells me. Some of them faint in their seats on the way to the shelter. All of them come with coughs, with vomiting, with stomach illnesses. After crossing the border, the families are held in dangerously crowded and freezing holding cells, called hileras, where COVID-19 and other illnesses spread quickly. Before January 2019, families were allowed into the U.S. to pursue their asylum claims. Since then, however, a combination of restrictive policies under the Biden and Trump administrations have kept them mostly out, even as conditions worsen in Central America. With the Biden administration no longer removing unaccompanied children, Many parents at the border are deciding to send their children ahead, alone, in the hands of smugglers. Pastor Gustavo said this decision has contributed to the record-breaking rise in the amount of unaccompanied children crossing the border. A veces nosotros no lo entendemos y es una opción que toman muy complicada. He says it's difficult to understand, but to make sure their kids don't die from gang violence, they have to decide to send them ahead, alone, even if it might mean they never see their children again. But in America, they'll be safe. Just a few miles north of the border here, hundreds of unaccompanied children are being held in the San Diego Convention Center, waiting to reunite with family in the U.S. or sponsors. One morning earlier this month, outside of the Embajadores de Jesus shelter, some families lined up for a bus to take them back to Central America. Others head back to Reynosa to cross the border again in Texas in the hopes they'll be let into the country. Gloria Vasquez del Cid, holding the hand of her young daughter, doesn't know what she'll do. She just says she can't go back to Honduras. No, No quiero regresar. For the California Report, I'm Maxwell Nadler in Tijuana.
0: This evening President Biden will address a joint session of Congress. One California lawmaker hopes he'll focus part of his speech on the rise in hate crimes targeting the Asian American community. Democratic Congresswoman Judy Chu of Pasadena will be joined by a special guest, Robert Peterson. His mother was killed in the mass shootings last month at Spas in Atlanta. Peterson spoke with Representative Chu yesterday about what he hopes to hear from the president. I really hope he does just take time out to acknowledge um, my mother and the families um, that he supports and he stands with the Asian American community in fighting against this violence and this uh, anti-Asian hatred. I hope that he rallies behind the legislation that's currently in Congress, whether it's dealing with the anti-Asian hate bill or similarly the George Floyd bill Peterson, who identifies as Black and Asian, emphasized the importance of fighting hatred together. He also appreciates the overwhelming support he and his family have received from the Atlanta community since his mother was killed. And that's today's California Report for Wednesday, April 28th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and
2: have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Hint fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute, working to advance the frontiers of ocean research, sharing the connection between life on land and life at sea with everyone everywhere. The law firm Perkins Coie, a trusted legal advisor to innovative companies and industry leaders throughout California and the world. Learn more at PerkinsCOIE.com.
1: Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on The Bay Curious Podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners.